Well, hey, I'm gonna let me, let me pray, and then we're gonna look into God's word this morning. God, we uh, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that uh, He's active. He talks to us. He shows us things. He um, always pushing, prompting, and stretching us. So, as we look into Your Word this morning, we we know apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't really find life in the Bible. We just simply find words. So. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and open our ears? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, go to this first slide here. I'm guessing none of you have these bumper stickers on your cars. Maybe you do, but I'm guessing you don't. Um, and if you were here last week, I, I talked about this song that came out in uh, 2008 that most people think was the the genesis of the term being woke in our culture today. There's a, there's a phrase in the song where the singer sings, I stay woke, I stay woke, and she keeps singing that. And it kind of became a, a lingo in the African-American community, but it's, of course it is, it is morphed to become more of a lingo about our culture and social issues today. But uh, So I have like a Bloomington Pride sticker. TASC is uh, Transsexual Ally Support Community on IU's campus. Gun violence, coexist, there's all these different world religions. Dream Act is kind of representing uh, immigration and how people feel about that. Black Lives Matter, and I put the one with the fist up there because I'm the militant one. And my guess is most of us, most of us, myself included, our reactions to these are often informed, whether it's good or bad, probably more bad, by things like Fox News and CNN. And we had these emotional reactions to these things. And you have friends and co-workers who might have a totally different emotional reaction to these things than you do. So the, the whole culture is about being woke. And so, but, but what we were talking about in these next number of weeks is go to the next slide here. Okay, the, Jesus wants us to wake up. And this is my wake-up bell. I had this last week, so I'm going to ring it. All right. Wake up. And I'm, it's not that we shouldn't be aware of the woke issues. As a matter of fact, I think those... Maybe those have been brought to the forefront because Jesus wants us to see some things differently, right? So he wants us to wake up. Last week we talked about, Jesus said, wake up. The harvest is ripe. He's talking about people. Wake up. And the Bible talks throughout Old and New Testament about waking up to spiritual realities. Not to, we're not waking up to the culture. We're waking up to the spirit of Jesus. Sometimes the culture might have to kind of inform us of some things. So now if I do it this way, now I'll go to the next slide. Same thing as before, but now instead of saying I, ha I stay woke, what if I said, well, Jesus wants to wake up about these exact same issues. Wake up to him. Wake up is to his spirit. So here's what I want you to do in right now. So all these represent issues. I'm guessing you know people that fall into each of these. You, you know people that are gay. You might work with them. You might know people that are transsexual. You might know people that are in, into the kind of a Black Lives Matter. Your neighbors may have their signs in the yards. You know people that are from different world religions. All right. I want you to think about these things not as issues, but I want you to think about them as people. Because maybe what Jesus wants to wake us up to is these are all about people. It's not about issues. Yes, issues matter, but it's about people. And how do we think about people in these, what I'll call bumper sticker categories? Because they're people. 
they're people who Jesus loves. And how do we, how do we wrestle with this, all right? So a couple things, and I'll repeat this every week now because we're going we're gonna to talk about all these issues in future weeks, all right? Here's some general assumptions. First slide is this. This is not an us versus the culture thing. This is not us versus the culture war. That's not, the, that's not how the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, it's not, we're not fighting the culture. It's not us versus them. Because if we do that, then it does become Fox News, CNN, whatever you're reading and whatever your news feed is will inform you how should you think about these things. All right? It's not that. It's this. Go to the next one. It's, okay, let's look to Jesus and ask Jesus what he thinks about these things. Huge difference. Jesus, what do you think about these things? And, and I have this, I made this just lately. It's a, it's a heavy rock, but it says we trust Jesus. And I'm saying that because what Jesus has to say on these issues is what should drive us. All right? We trust Jesus. That's, you may not even know this, but the first statement and the doctrinal statement of Exodus Church is this. We trust Jesus. We trust what he says. We trust what he did. And we only know Jesus by what we see in the Bible. And then on the back side of this, and I'll turn it back in a second, we trust the Bible. We trust the Bible because Jesus trusted the Bible. So everything we look at is going to come from our trust of Jesus and what he thinks about these things. And you might think, well, Jesus never talked about gun violence. He never talked about what violence. He never talked about trans. But he talked about things that are co clearly related to these things. And so the question is, okay, what did Jesus say? Now, the, the issue, and I said this last week, what people like to do is, this is how I think Jesus would look at this issue. So they create a Jesus that matches their view, all right? Whether it's a CNN Jesus or a Fox News Jesus or whatever. We find Jesus that matches our view. We can only find Jesus by finding what he actually said and did. All right? You, you can't. We can't create a Jesus that believes and says things that he didn't believe and say just because it fits our categories. Does that mean it makes sense to me? So we have to, we have to, and I was going to try to balance my Bible here, but we have to go with what did Jesus actually say and do? And how did he treat people? And what did he say about those kind of issues, all right? So that's the first thing. It's not us against the culture. It's us waking up to Jesus to know how to respond to these things and, and love these people, all right? That's, that's assumption number one. Assumption number two is this. Go to the next slide. We're going to do this. We're going to ask tough questions. We're going to think deeply. And we're going to love widely. Too many times as Christians, we like to think deeply. And by think deeply, I have the Bible up there. What does the Bible say? But part of the Christian, not part of, a large, we need to love people well. Um, so we're going to ask tough questions. Um, we're going to think deeply. We're going to love widely. All right. We're not just going to love, we're not just going to think, we're going to do all this at the same time. And the way I've been looking at this, there's no question that's off the table, all right? Ask tough questions, think deeply, love widely. And the next thing is this, next assumption is, and we'll talk more about this later, I'm going to ask all of you to take a posture, make a posture shift. As far as I know, none of us here are exactly like Jesus. So all of us have some kind of shifting and growing to do from whatever direction, and we'll talk about that in a second, but I'm, I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit about what kind of posture shift he may be asking of you or of me, all right? So those are the three kind of assumptions. It's not a culture war. We're going to ask tough questions, think deeply, love widely, and we're going to 
be willing to let the Holy Spirit give a, challenge us for a posture shift. All right? So actually, here's what I want you to do right now. Sit in your chairs. Hold your, hold your chair. And on one, two, three, I want you to do a shift one inch to the left. All right? One, two, three, shift. All right? Now shift to the right in case you need to go to the right eventually. One, two, three, right. All right? So I'm asking you to be willing for what the Holy Spirit might tell you to do on this. All right? So... Now, let me go to this. Here's, this. This is kind of foundation. In future weeks, we'll talk about specific issues, um, whether it's racial issues, white privilege, LGBTQ issues, those kind of things. Today, it's one more foundational week. All right, so go to the next slide here. This drives everything we're going to be doing in the next few weeks. This statement about Jesus, and, I'll, and we'll talk about here why in a second. This is from John chapter 1. This is John introducing us to Jesus. And uh, why don't you read this out loud with me, all right? Here we go. So the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of grace and truth. That line again. He was full of grace and truth. One more time. He was full of grace and truth. Here we go. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. For the law was given through Moses, but God's grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So we're told that Jesus was full of grace and truth, and that actually was a clear representation of God. He shows us God. All right? So let's talk about grace and truth, all right? Full of truth, all right? You might be a full of truth person. Here's what full of truth people are like. And I, some of this I got from an article I read by a pastor named Kevin DeYoung, so this will be helpful. If you're a truth person... Truth people are easy to admire, have convictions and principles, believe in right and wrong, set standards, speak out against uh, injustice, but they know the Bible, they speak the truth. But if you speak truth without grace, it can easily become judgmental. Truth people without grace are loyal to their cause, but they're not really loyal to people. They inspire us with their courage, they turn us off with their intimidation, and they don't really help us to become what we should be. I mean, I'm guessing, at least I know for me, I, if I'm going to lean, if I lean away, I lean on the truth side of things. I'm, I can be full of truth, but I'm going to make the point, it's not truth or grace, or truth sometimes and grace sometimes, it's both. Jesus was full of both at the same time. Always at the same time. So... Truth people, it's important truth, the Bible, but if it's all about truth, and then here's a posture thing, this is what truth people do. They're finger waggers, right? This is truth people. If all you do is truth, if all you, on these issues, whether it's racial issues, political issues that are these issues, LGBTQ, if it's all about truth to you, um, and truth matters, the Bible matters, we trust Jesus, it matters, and if it's all about truth to you, you will likely uh, lean toward, I mean, who in the Bible was all about truth? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were all truth people. They did the right thing, believed the right thing, taught the right thing. But Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. So we don't want to be all about truth. All right? So then there's the grace people. Or the grace side of things. All right. Uh, grace people are pleasant to be around. 
They don't ruffle feathers. They cut a lot of slack. They're easygoing. They accept it for who we are. But without truth, grace isn't always grace. Sometimes it's just being accepting and nice. And just because I'm being affirming doesn't mean I'm being graceful. So I can affirm somebody else. It doesn't mean I'm being graceful in the spirit of Jesus. Grace people without truth are pleasant to be around, but we wonder if they really like us or they just want to be liked. And last thing, they accept us for who we are, but we're not sure if they're going to help us become who we should be. All right? So let me think about some grace examples in the Bible. All right? There's a situation in 1 Corinthians. Oh, this is my grace thing. Grace, the grace emoji is, hey, everything's okay. Whatever you do is okay with me. That's you. That's grace without truth. All right? Everything's okay. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. In the, old, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 5, there was a situation where someone in the church was actually living, uh, sleeping with their mother-in-law. Something like, I can't remember what it was. It was and, Paul, and they were proud of it. They were like, oh, we're all about grace. It's freedom. And Paul says, no, that's not grace. That's like, that's outside of grace. That, that's just being nice and accepting. And, and you, you know people like that. I know, you know, anything's okay. Um, the book of Galatians was written because people, some of the people in Galatia were all about freedom, so I can do what I want to do. Um, in, in the book of Revelation, Jesus challenges some churches because they were tolerating sexual immorality and idolatry in the spirit of grace. So we can't be one or the other. It's not an or thing or thing both have their dangers i mean something's wrong if everybody hates you right if we're truth people there's something wrong if everybody hates the church but on the flip side something's probably equally wrong if everybody loves you oh every, you know they never you know, everybody loves you because you're accepting all the time so then we have to ask okay how do we how do we do grace and truth and again when i say posture shift some of you I guess I'll say for me, if that's truth, and maybe nobody's caught this yet, but I'm pretty proud of this. I got red and purple, but the combination, red and, red and blue, but the combination is purple, right? Jesus, perfect combination of both. I know my colors. But I'm probably right here on this scale. I'd lean that way. That's my personality. Maybe some of you do too. Some of you may be on there on that scale. The posture shift I'm asking all of you to think about it, is moving this direction or if you're over here if you're a grace person maybe you're, you're not maybe your posture ship is this way okay let's be grace and truth and we do both of those well um, so when you think about somebody you know that's gay lesbian transsexual really into racial issues in a way that you think is outside of what your box is how do you think about those people? How does Jesus think about those people? How does Jesus interact with those? Because they are, all, they are all people to be loved. These are not issues to be solved. They're people to be loved, but the issues matter. So, for example, let's look at some examples. So, Jesus, I'm always taken aback that Jesus was incredibly, incredibly tender with people who were sexually broken. All right? Think of the woman who was caught in adultery and the Pharisees and others, the truth people, were picking up stones because that's what they were supposed to do because she was wrong. So Jesus 
intervenes and he says, if any of you without sin, cast the first stone. Now, some people might say, see, look, Jesus was all gracious. But then what did he say next to the woman? He said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, hey, if you want to have a affair with somebody, as long as it's a mutual relationship and you love each other and I hurt anybody, that's okay with me. He didn't say that. That's, that's, that's grace without truth. Truth without grace was the Pharisees. But Stoner, Jesus is, shows her great mercy and kindness, but then he says, go and sin no more. Right? The Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, that story has about every issue because that story involves intense racial issues because Samaritans were hated by Jews and vice versa. And the woman was on like her fifth husband, so you got all kinds of sexual morality going on there. But Jesus was incredibly tender with this woman, Samaritan, immoral person. And he, you know, she starts, she wants to get into truth argument. Well, where are we supposed to worship? Because Samaritans didn't even believe the right things. All right. Now, a grace person would have said to the Samaritan woman, hey, it's your life. It's your freedom. Whatever you believe, as long as you're sincere, it's good. And if you... You're on your sixth husband, as long as you love him and you're faithful to the sixth husband, that's good. But Jesus didn't say that, but neither did Jesus knock her on the head with, by the way, you know you Samaritans have really bad theology. As a matter of fact, wrong theology. The doctrine's awful. It's in, incorrect. And he didn't say that. He didn't pound the woman with, you immoral blankety-blank. But he did say to her, when she, he said something about her husband, she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, well, you're, you're right. You don't have one. You're on your fifth or sixth guy. But Jesus is truthful, but he's graceful. And he does both at the same time. And, and this woman goes and gets people to join Jesus' church, so to speak. She wanted to be around Jesus. I'm sure the woman caught in adultery... And then, then you know the story of Mary Magdalene who was, had demons in her. They were all bringing people to him. And this, I was listening to a speaker this week online. And he said, you know, these people wanted to be a part of Jesus' church. Do they want to be a part of your church? And again, it's not all the only income free grace, but neither is it let's knock them overhead with the Bible truth because we know what we believe. It's, it's Jesus, had, he had this combination of both in incredible ways. He was merciful. In other, in other, some versions translate the term grace in this John passage as mercy. Jesus was full of truth and mercy. But just think of the mercy he showed people. I mean, I, I imagine, I, I like to imagine the, when the Pharisees got really ticked off one time, Jesus had been in a banquet at Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax, tax collector. The tax collectors were hated scum by by the righteous christians by the truth christians not only were there tax collectors there there were prostitutes there so those two groups could hang together because they were both equally despised by the by the truth people so i don't know i'd, I'd, I'd love maybe we get to heaven someday we can i'd love to see what that interaction was like when jesus was there i don't think he went around tapping everybody in the shoulder and said excuse me ma'am uh, you're a prostitute, you need to stop it. Excuse me, sir, you're cheating on tax. You need to... I'm sure he didn't do that. I'm sure he was incredibly graceful. But they also felt a truth from him. They knew that the life they were living wasn't what they wanted. 
That's why Matthew left to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus left to follow Jesus. Tax collectors, prostitutes ended up following Jesus. They didn't continue in their trade or they didn't continue in their cheating taxes. So what's Jesus like that he can be attractive and merciful to people, but at the same time, he never once, ever once, inched on the truth. He never once said, well, you know, I know what the Old Testament says, but things are different now. He never did. So, again, I think about, I mean, I know somebody who's, we all know somebody who used to provide our coffee, Rachel. She's not there anymore, but it's a guy who dresses a woman. So how does Jesus think about Rachel? Should we use female pronouns, male pronouns? Call him Eric? Do you know people that are gay? You might work with them. How do you interact with them? Do you know people that are of different racial backgrounds? Whether they're militant or not, how do you interact with them? How do you interact with them about some of the issues happening in our culture today? What would Jesus tell you to do? Or what does he tell us to do? Because again, these are people we're talking about. These aren't political issues. They are political issues, but that's not the concern of the church. Our church, the, the concern of the church, our job isn't to change the culture. Our job is to love people in the full of truth and grace way that Jesus did and be a part of the Holy Spirit changing their lives. And our goal is the, is, is the, the joy and the peace and the holiness of the church. Our, our job is not to change the culture. You were salt. I mean, Jesus says we're salt of the earth. So in that sense, salt changes the culture, but not because we stick it in their eyes, just because we change. We're, we're different and people start noticing. So, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe there's somebody in your life right now that you, I, I can think of people that fall in all these categories. How does Jesus want you to interact with them? Is your job simply to be the truth person with the finger wagging? course that's not it and your job is neither to be hey it's all okay with me but there's this grace and truth mixture that jesus embodied all the time he didn't deal with some people with his red hat on and then go deal with some people with his blue hat on he was always full of truth and grace always incredible merciful incredibly merciful toward people and people had to make posture shifts think about think about uh peter and we'll talk about this when we talk about racism Peter had this dream because Jews were absolutely never, ever supposed to interact with Gentiles. Going to a Gentile home was like dirty, despised, despicable. So Peter has this dream that he's supposed to eat animals that aren't part of the, what they were supposed to be able to eat. They were unclean animals. And then Cornelius, a Gentile, sends people to Peter and says, Peter... An angel gave me a dream to have you come to my house. So Peter was supposed to go into a Gentile house. That was like a truth person would say, no, Peter, no, you better not go into that house because that's wrong. At least wrong in the way they understood the law. But then what, is, what does the Holy Spirit then say to Peter? Don't call dirty what I've called clean. I want you to go into that house. Now, God didn't change his theology. I mean, Peter didn't adjust his theology so the gentiles who sometimes were had more gods than one he didn't adjust that he went and talked to them about jesus but jesus was correcting peter's contempt for gentiles so peter had to make a posture shift 
because Peter was here. This is Peter, spoke at Pentecost, 2,000 people became Christians. But then later, he had to make a posture shift because he was like, no, no, I'm all, I'm all about the truth, Jesus. I will not go into a Gentile home. And Jesus was like, no, no, this way, this way, Peter, this way. So those kind of shifts happen with godly men and women who were close to Jesus. So maybe it should happen with us. And we're not shifting away from the Bible or away from you. We're shifting toward Jesus, but full of grace and truth. Um, so over the next weeks, when we talk about these issues, we are going to talk about people. But every single week, there's, we're going to talk about what did Jesus say pertaining to issues like racism or sexuality issues or anything else that falls in some of these categories. Um, and again, there's no questions we won't ask. If you think I'm not asking the tough questions, then email me, let me know. But we want to ask those tough questions. But by the end, my hope for me and my hope for you is, is all of us have made some kind of posture shift closer to Jesus. Not closer to any political point of view or television network or political candidate. Because that really is irrelevant to Jesus. Totally irrelevant to Jesus. But how do we move closer uh, to Jesus? I mean, like one of the things... I, listened, I, was listened, I read a book this week or listened to a book on tape this week and one of the challenges was, okay, what do you, is it right or wrong to call a transgendered person by the pronouns of their new identity? Is that right or wrong? I mean, Christians disagree on that, but those are the kind of things we got to, how do we think about those through the grid of Jesus? Not the Jesus we wish was there, but the Jesus that how did he treat people? What do we do with those things? And how do we, embody grace and truth and how we treat people real people not issues but people so um go to the next slide i think this is the last one here just yeah he was full of grace and truth um once you close your eyes and i'll close here because my my guess is oh, i know my guess i know this is true um if i or if you lean toward being a truth person um, it's because somehow maybe you don't see the mercy of God in your own life. That's a, that's absolutely a clear connection for a lot of us. So maybe what you need to see for you is God's mercy for you, his grace for you. Or if you're on the grace side of things and Maybe you need to be open to Jesus saying things to you that you really don't want to hear, but he needs to say to you in order for you to be fully alive, awake, and free. Because sometimes we can be resistant. I know who I am. I don't, you know, whatever Jesus, but Jesus was full of both. So now I'm drawing it back to you and Jesus, not you and these issues, not you and the people these issues represent, but you and Jesus. And if there's ways that you need Jesus to reveal truth to you in a way that brings healing to you, or he needs to reveal his mercy to you in a way that brings healing to you. Because the only way you or I are going to move toward the character of Jesus is because we are personal friends with Jesus, and he moves us that direction. We're not going to be moved by... Um, crafted sermons or good articles. We're going to be moved by the spirit of Jesus moving us there. 
So, God, I pray this morning for each one of us here and every one of us. Um, we want to grow to be more like you, Jesus. We want to be like you. But we also know that we need your spirit in us to transform us. We want to be, we want to experience your mercy in a way that shifts us. Whether we don't think we're worthy of the kind of mercy or grace you offer us, we don't think we're worthy of forgiveness. Maybe there's some here who think that we've done things that put us outside of that realm, but there's nothing we've done that's going to take away your mercy from us. But at the same time, God, would you open up our eyes and ears so we see the times where Jesus may need to speak to us, correct us, challenge us. Um, so open up our ears both ways, and Jesus, would your spirit um, speak to each one of us this week even in ways that change us so then we can change how we interact with and love people that you love who are just like us, broken and probably scared at times and insecure. God, we, we want to learn how to love them just like you love them. We want, to, we want the people that were attracted to Jesus in the New Testament to be attracted to us. And it wasn't the religious people, it was the irreligious people. So we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what the posture shift will require of us. We don't know the discomfort. Well, we do know it will be uncomfortable but we want that because we want to be more like you, Jesus. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, well, we'll finish every Sunday. We do every Sunday with communion. So um, you can go ahead and grab your communion packets there. But communion, Jesus said, yeah, do this in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of me. And maybe what we remember simply today is this is full of grace and truth. Maybe as you take communion, you might think of the the story of the Samaritan woman or the woman caught in adultery. And just remember, that's the Jesus that we are taking into our bodies, all right? The Jesus who gave himself, not only gave himself on the cross, but he also, it was just a, it was just a natural expression of his full of grace and mercy. So let me pray. Jesus, we, we're grateful, Jesus, that you came full of grace and mercy. You were full of truth, full of mercy all the time. And we're grateful that out of that part of who you are, the core of who you are, you gave yourself to the cross. You gave yourself to be crucified. And then you were resurrected to, uh, back to life again because you are full of grace and mercy. And uh, so, Jesus, we're grateful for that. We're grateful that you did that for us. And in giving us your blood and your body in this symbolic and mystical way, we can be like you full of grace and mercy, which is the first step toward the world revolution that you came to initiate. We want to be part of that. We don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to be uh, all the all income free Santa Claus grace Christians either. We want to be people who embody both your truth, but also your kindness and your mercy at the same time. And we're grateful, Jesus, and we ask this on your name. Amen.